Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. As JT said, my name is Darren. I'm one of the elders here. And I'm really excited to be here, especially with this age group, because I work with middle school students, all right? From Monday through Friday, it's my job. I work with middle school students. And you guys are just crazy. You're cool, and you're just fun to be around. So this is definitely my favorite age group to be around. It's also, I'm excited to be here because junior high was a special time for me because that's when I gave my life to Christ, when I was in eighth grade. How many of you are eighth graders? Raise your hand. Okay, we got a few. And uh, yeah, I just remember, you know, knowing that I was a sinner, that I had a need for a Savior, and that's when I gave my life to Christ. But I am most excited to be here because I get to talk about Jesus. You know, we could, I could teach you about language arts, I could teach you about uh, math or social studies or science, but none of those things compare to learning about Jesus Christ. So Philippians 2 verse 5 is where we're going to be heading here in just a moment. Uh, When I say the word substitute, what do you think of? Substitute. Now, you might be thinking of a person, or you might be thinking of an object. Now, let me give you a couple examples. Let's say uh, you go into uh, your classroom. You walk in, and there's a stranger in your classroom one day. And you're like, where's my teacher at? And then you realize, oh, it's a substitute teacher today. Right? Someone has to be there to keep track of the kids, to watch you, to be in place of your regular teacher. Now, you might get a really good substitute teacher, or you might get one that's horrible. Now, I've seen both. I've walked into some classrooms, and I've seen the teachers who are, substitute teachers who are more concerned with their phones than the students. Have you ever seen that before? Yeah. We have nodding heads, right? I've also seen it at least one time where I've walked into a classroom and the substitute teacher was sleeping. And all the students looked at me in disbelief as to what was going on. It was pretty amazing. Let's talk basketball. Who likes basketball? You have five starting players on your basketball team, right? But at some point in time, they're going to need a break. And who needs to come in? The substitute players. Right? It could be at the end of the first quarter, it could be sometime in the second quarter, but the substitute players are going to come in. They're going to take the place of one of those starter, starting players. Now, they're not your best players. They're not your star players, but they do play a vital role for the team. Let's talk about an object as a substitute. Let's say you go to a restaurant, right? And the waiter comes to your table and says, hey, can I start you off with something to drink? And you say, yes, I would like a Coca-Cola. And he says, oh, I'm so sorry. We don't have Coke products. We have Pepsi. Can I get you Pepsi? Now, if you choose to substitute the, or put the Pepsi in place of the Coke, that's its substitute, right? Or maybe you choose to go with water. Either way, whatever you put in place of the Coca-Cola is a substitute. Now, a substitute by definition is a person or thing acting or serving in place of another. Now, in most cases, The substitute is not better than what they're replacing. The regular teacher would be preferred over the substitute, or the starters are preferred over the substitute uh, players. And you'd rather have Coca-Cola than Pepsi. 
At least I would anyway. Tonight I want to talk about a substitute that is hands down the greatest substitute ever known and is far, far better than who they are acting in place of. This greatest substitute of all time is Jesus. So over the course of the last few weeks, you've been going through the gospel. And there are different ways to lay out the gospel, right? Different presentations. In fact, let's see if we can do this real quick. How many of you remember how we teach uh, the gospel in Redeemer Kids? Let me help you out. Ready? Here we go. What's this mean? God rules, right? It's a, it's a king. It's a crown, right? What's this mean? We sinned. God provides. Jesus gives. Good job. And we respond. Outstanding. Nice job. So, quick recap. Back in week one, JT talked about God created and owns all things. The following week, we had Sam spoke, speaking about the expectations that God has for those he created. And continuing on from there, you learn from Nathaniel that we have all failed to meet God's expectations. Therefore, we are guilty of sin. And last week, you heard from JT, and he talked about the consequences of sin, which is hell. And Jesus talks about it. You see it in Scripture. But tonight, I get to talk to you about the greatest hope that we have, and that is in Jesus Christ. So, we are at the fifth point. Jesus bore the consequences of our sin on the cross as our substitute. So follow along with me as I start reading in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The first thing I want to point out about this greatest substitute is that Jesus is fully qualified to be our substitute. If you look at verse 6, it says, Paul tells us that Jesus was in the form of God. That tells us that Jesus is God. And the Bible's very clear about telling us that Jesus is God. If you looked at John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And as you continue to read on through the Gospel of John in chapter 1, you're going to see that John is referring to Jesus. Jesus is the Word. And I could reread it like this. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. Jesus has existed since God created the earth. In fact, he has no beginning, he has no end, and therefore he is infinite. In fact, if you looked at Jesus' own words in John 8, chapter 8, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Such an interesting thing for him to say because Abraham lived more than 2,000 years before Jesus. Before Jesus was born to Mary, that is. But yet, Jesus says, I was before him. In fact, he even uses the same name that God uses when he responds to Moses' question of who God is. God says, I am 
who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Now listen to these words again. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And that is exactly why the religious leaders respond the way they do. Do you know what they do? They pick up stones to throw at him because they were going to kill him because they thought he had committed a crime. They thought he had committed blasphemy, calling himself God. But the thing was, they thought he was wrong, but he wasn't lying. He is God. And this is so important for you to know. Do you know why it's important? It's important that we understand this because God is the only one capable of saving us from our sin. If we looked at, and then there's many verses I could pull out here, but I'm just going to pick one for right now. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. Isaiah says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Even then, Isaiah, the prophets, even going back to David, they all knew that God would be the one to save them. And he's the only one capable of being our savior. In fact, Jesus fulfills hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament showing that he is the savior. He is fully qualified because he is fully God, but he is also fully man. He has always existed, but he's not always had the body of a human. That took place when he was growing inside of Mary, all right? Just like you grew and developed inside of your mom, right? Colossians 2.9 says, for in him the whole fullness of deity, the whole fullness. I mean, think about that, the whole fullness. That's everything and, and even more of deity, which is God. God enters into the body of a human. This is amazing. The creator of the universe, who cannot be contained by the universe, enters into into creation. This is amazing. It's really difficult for us to comprehend the sacrifice that God is making by becoming a human. And even though he is God, it says, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He became nothing. That's what it says in verse 7. But made himself nothing. This shouldn't surprise us because compared to the almighty, holy, and perfect God, guess what? We really are nothing. Don't be offended by that. But compared to him, we are nothing. So I want to use an analogy here. And I know anytime you use an analogy, you got to be careful because they never line up. You're comparing two things, but there's always a breakdown somewhere, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Let's talk about Jeff Bezos, right? He is the founder and CEO of Amazon. He's worth over $200 billion, okay? So that's 200 with nine zeros behind it. I don't think anybody in this room, including myself, can even comprehend how much money that is. But let's say Jeff Bezos decided to take his money and he was going to set it aside, all right? Take all of his wealth, all of his money, and he was just going to set it aside, not touch it, and maybe actually just give it all away, all right? And then, not only did he do that, but then he would step out of his role as CEO, lose all of his power, and take the lowest paying job at Amazon. If he did that, we would think that he was crazy, would we not? Absolutely crazy. And yet, what Jesus does is so much of a greater jump, or coming down to earth, is so much more than anything that Jeff Bezos could do. 
but he had a purpose in taking the form of a human. He did it not because he had to for his sake. He chose to for our sake. Why? Okay, well, we know he's fully qualified. So let's talk about how the greatest substitute fulfilled his purpose. Because that's what he did. He fulfilled his purpose. Why did Jesus enter into the world as a human? As a servant, as it says in verse 7. What was his mission? Remember those expectations that Sam talked about? Yeah, the same ones that we have all failed at. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love others as yourself. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus is the only exception. He kept the whole law perfectly. He never sinned. And even though he was tempted, he never messed up. Not once. Always did he do what his parents told him to do. He never made a selfish decision. He never stole candy from his siblings. Never. Right? He never lied to make himself look better than he actually was. And he certainly did not disobey his parents when they told him to stop playing Fortnite or Call of Duty and work on his homework. Right? No. Maybe he didn't play Fortnite or, well, he didn't. But 1 Peter 2.22 says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He obeyed God's law perfectly, and he is the perfect example for all of us. But being like Jesus isn't what saves us. Let me explain that some more. What is the consequence for sin? Romans 6.23, right? The wages of sin is death. And I'm not just talking about physical death, like when we die, but more than that, it's a death for our souls. It's a death in our relationship with God. See, sin separates us from God's goodness, from his favor. We want God's favor upon us. We want his face to shine upon us, right? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That's what we want. We want his favor upon us. We want his peace. But for everyone who has sinned, who has sinned, hell should be the consequence, right? Hell is experiencing God's wrath forever. And then you have Jesus who is perfect and he flawlessly follows God's laws, his expectations. But what is his purpose in coming? What's his purpose in being in the form of a servant? Listen to this as I read, continue to read from Philippians 2 and starting in verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus allowed himself to be arrested by the religious leaders. He was found guilty of claiming to be God, and he was. He really was. He is. And then he was willing to be beaten and then put on a cross to die. If there was ever anything in the history of the world that was not fair, this was it. But this was God's plan to save us. This was God's plan to save us. Jesus was perfect, and yet he chose to go to the cross for you and for me. He chose to be our substitute. This was his purpose, and he filled it completely. 
and perfectly. He sacrificed himself in our place. It says in 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, which is the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He fulfills every expectation that God has for people, and then he sacrifices himself for those who trust in him. So let's talk a little bit more about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. I used to think that the worst part of Jesus going to the cross was the physical pain that he endured. Right? Could you imagine that? I mean, I don't think we could even imagine. I sometimes have a hard time with needles. But to think about going to the cross and dying a death like that, I just can't even comprehend it. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was when the wrath of God, all of God's anger, all of the punishment towards sin, which by the way is our sin, was placed upon Jesus. This was when God's favor was turned away from Jesus. His face wasn't shining on Jesus. The wrath of God was being poured out on Jesus. The physical pain was intense. But experiencing God's wrath was far worse. And Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? He's not getting the favor of God. He's getting the wrath of God. This was the moment that he substituted himself for those who put their faith and trust in him. Jesus eventually says his last words, it is finished. And at that moment, sin was paid for. It had been done. Then the Lord had done it. And after that, Jesus was taken down from the cross, right? He was taken down from the cross and he was put into the grave. And this was a very sad moment because all of the disciples thought, this is, it's over. They didn't understand what he kept trying to tell them all along. It's like, it's over. He's, he's gone and what are we going to do? It seemed to be the end of the story for them. But on the third day, we know that he rose from the dead. Death, he conquered the power that sin has over us for those who trust in him. He'd conquered that. Sin had no more power over those who put their faith in him. He had shown that. So what does this mean for us? This means that the greatest substitute freely offers us eternal life with him. I just really want to emphasize with him. If Jesus is offering this to us, how do we receive it? Well, we receive it by faith. Now, some are going to say that you have to do good things. Have you heard that before? You have to do good things to earn your way to heaven, earn your way into you know, God's good graces. And that's simply not true. We are not saved by doing good works. As I said earlier, and we've said this verse before, and you've heard it before, the wages of sin is death. It doesn't stop there. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a free gift. You cannot buy it, and except for Jesus, no one can get it for you. You can't earn it by doing good things. We are not saved by our good works, but instead we are saved by the good works of Jesus Christ. So it is free, and it is by faith. And that means, as you listen to what God is saying, right? As you listen to what God says in his word, that you say, 
I believe it. I believe it's true. And tonight I've told you some important things about Jesus, who he is and what he has done. But there's so much more. All right? So much more that you can learn for the rest of your life. There's no end to learning about Jesus. What you have to ask yourself is, do you have faith in what I'm telling you about Jesus and that it's true? And I know many of you do. But for those of you who aren't sure, here are some questions that you need to ask yourself. The first question was, do you admit that you are a sinner? This is so important because if you believe this, then you believe that you need a savior. This means that you say, okay, God, I I know that I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry that I have loved myself more than you. I've loved myself more than others. In fact, it's kind of like this. This is the way I lived before. And Lord, I was wrong and I'm going to turn. I'm going to repent. Lord, your way is right. I admit that your way is right, Lord. I am sorry for what I have done. And when you can do, this is a gift from the Lord. When God reveals your sin to you, it is a gift from the Lord. Sin is horrible. Sin is terrible. But that point when God says, reveals to you, and you're like, oh, I see it. Yes, I am a sinner. That is such a gift. Because some people, they don't think they're sinners. They think there's nothing wrong. I can do what I want to do, right? Or they think their sin isn't a big deal. It is a big deal. The Bible tells us all have fallen, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes every single one in this room, okay, in, including me, all of us. And then the wages of sin is death. There's no way around this. We all sin. We all deserve death. So the next question is, do you believe that Jesus is the only one who can save you from sin? That he is God and he is man. That he went to the cross and suffered the wrath for you and for me. And that he rose from the dead showing that he had conquered the power of sin and death. He wants to be your savior. He wants to be your substitute. And then do you confess? Meaning, do you, can you say to him right now and will you say to others around you eventually that he's your Lord and savior? God, I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. And, and, and Lord, I'm thankful that you saved me. And Lord, I want to live for you. That you want to seek him. That you want to know him more. And you want to walk through this life with him. Those things that you'll do from this point on, those things will not save you. It's in faith. When you have faith, that's when you are saved. Believing these things that are true and certain means that you have faith. And I'm, and I'm pleased to tell you that in that moment, so much changes. One, you've got the Holy Spirit working inside of you, trying to help you understand this and come to this understanding that Jesus is your Savior, right? And then you have the Holy Spirit in you. And then also, your sin has been, when you have faith, your sin has been completely covered by the blood of Jesus Christ in that moment, and the righteousness of Jesus has been placed upon you. For, this, for our sake, this is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So now when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus. And now you are welcomed into his presence. Sin no longer separates you. See, this is the best news of all. The best news of all is that you get God. You get a relationship with him. 
Avoiding hell and his wrath, that is something to definitely be thankful for. But I just want you to realize right now in this moment, you have a relation, you can have a relationship with God. You can talk to him when you pray. When you open up his word, he's going to speak to you. He's going to help you to understand. And he promises that he will always be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus already endured that, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He already endured that. You will never be forsaken by God if you put your faith and trust in him. But remember, you still live in a world that's full of sin. There will be hardships. There will be troubles. But your sin will not be counted against you. And you have the promise that he will always be with you. Now, you don't have a free ticket to sin. That's not what I'm saying. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you will want to conquer your sin with his help. And you will want to be more like him. And one day, judgment day will come. And you will have the righteousness of God like a robe wrapped around you. See, he took the wrath so that you could enjoy his presence right now and forever. And that's what heaven is. Being in the presence of God forever and sin will be no more. We're not there yet. But you can count it as good as done because that's what God tells us. Jesus truly is the greatest substitute. Someone will endure the consequences of your sin. The question is, will it be you or will you allow Jesus to be your substitute and enter into his presence starting right now?